Well, this morning we are back in the Gospel of Matthew. We're continuing our study series um, that we've titled Life and Community, and we're studying through the Sermon on the Mount with Jesus as he teaches. And so if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 6, that would be awesome as we begin a new chapter this morning. It was fun to take an aside last week um, and to study a passage in Second Chronicles, and, and I have to admit that was, that was fun for me. I enjoyed that, but I've been longing to get back to this study series in Matthew because I, I don't know how the Lord's working this into your life and how he's ministering to you, but I can tell you this is shaping and changing and revolutionizing my own heart. Uh, this has been changing me every time I approach it and every time I, I go to the scriptures and I look at these things, the Lord is showing me something fresh. He's showing me something new. And so I hope that he has um, our ears this morning. A.B. Bruce summed up Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 6 um, in the following way. He said, show when tempted to hide and hide when tempted to show. Show when tempted to hide in reference to Matthew chapter 5, which is a lot of the things that we are to be doing amongst each other, the attitudes and the actions that we have as you look at the Beatitudes, as you look at Jesus saying, I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets, and, and that we are to recognize that it's something that happens in the heart first and then comes out of our lives. When we lust in our heart, it leads to adultery. And when we commit these sins before God, these things lead to divorce. And that in being salt and light, we need to be transformed within. But he's talking talking so much about what's going on on the outside. And what he's saying is, is we need to reveal what's going on in the heart in our lives in authenticity and let him revolutionize our lives from within to without and that what people see should be authentic and that those things need to be seen. The authentic work of God in our hearts needs to be seen by the world around us. And so in one sense, it's show when tempted to hide. In other words, when we want to hide something, God says we need to open that up. We need to deal with those things and let our light shine But then there's also the part of us that wants to be seen. There's the part of us that wants to be on display, that wants the attention, that wants the glorification for what we accomplish. And this is what Jesus is going to begin addressing in Matthew chapter 6. He's going to show us that there's going to be times where we want to show our righteousness, where we want to show what's going on inside of our lives for our own glory's sake. And he's going to say, those are the things that you need to do in secret. Those are the things that are between he and us. That is intimacy between God and ourselves. So having studied through chapter 5 together, we've walked with Jesus through the Beatitudes, his fulfillment of the law, teaching his disciples that the source waters of our minds, our words and actions lay within our hearts. The source waters are the things that we're seeing on the outside is within. And so you find out really quickly what we've been marinating in or what we're filled with when you look at the production of our lives. And the authentic production of our lives should be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It should be an outpouring of the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit because he is the one that's indwelled us. And so as followers of Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit, his desire is to flow out of us, not splash us so we glisten like a cullen, if you know, you know. But he wants to flow out of us like a stream of living water. Jesus said this in John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. He's at the Feast of Booths in this situation. On the last and most important day, it says there of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. I think a lot of times we read the scriptures in our minds, and and we're doing it in our quiet time, right? You don't read your Bible during proclamation time, do you? If you do, that'd be a fun household. But most of the time, we read our Bibles in the quiet time. And do you know what my tendency is to do? If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. 
because I'm reading it in my head. I'm reading it quietly. What does it say in the text? Jesus stood up and cried out. I'm not going to do it because this room's really echoey and you might all die. But he cries out, if any man is thirsty, if anyone here is thirsty, you come to me and you drink. He says, the one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flowing from deep within him. And John adds his little author's note afterwards in verse 39. He said this about the spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He said, those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the spirit for the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. We as believers in Christ saved and born again have received his Holy Spirit. It should be flowing out of us, getting everyone wet, so to speak. That's why no one's in the front row. They're like, we don't want to be wet with Mike's speech. But like, you understand what I'm saying, right? Everyone who's around you should be saturated by the Holy Spirit's effect. Are they? Are they? So there's a good part about our righteousness, so to speak, affecting other people because it's God flowing out of us. The whole work of the Holy Spirit within us begets streams of living water that flow out. And so our good works should be public so that our light shine, just like the metaphor that Jesus used in Matthew chapter 5 that we already studied. Verses 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. In other words, your light is supposed to shine in a way that people actually see it. It's like when you're in Sunday school, hide under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Right. You know, we remember, do you guys remember that song? I need to bring those songs back. So I'm, I'm going to be in kids ministry off and on throughout the rest of the year. And we are bringing the songs back, baby. They're coming back. Father Abraham's going to have many sons and it's going to be right arm, left arm, right leg, left leg, nod your head, turn around, sit down. Okay. So Jesus, Jesus says this, no one lights a lamp, hide it under a bushel. No. He puts it under a basket, puts it on a lampstand. He says, you don't put it under a basket when you light that fire. I know, calm down, Mike. This is one cup of coffee. Rather, on a lampstand, it gives a light for all in the house. The light is intended to shine and provide light. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to you. Give glory to you, Father, who is in heaven. I like how everyone goes, heresy. Good job, you passed the test. The intent of our good works is to direct the world's attention to the Father, and that's what Jesus modeled for us perfectly. Jesus perfectly modeled what it looked like for a human being to set people's eyes on the Father, to look to God and to glorify God through his sacrifice. You would not have found him desirable if you saw him on the cross. We find it desirable in our modern Christianity because we understand what it means. But if you had been walking by that cross just outside the city, they were put publicly in that place by the Romans to be shameful, to be a demonstration of how not to live your life. And Jesus was there accepting the punishment for all of our sin because that's what glorified God. What are we willing to do to glorify God with our lives? Jesus says, you follow me. You follow after me. And where we get mixed up is when we proclaim in this sense, as we understand, okay, a part of my life is supposed to be a proclamation. But where we get mixed up is when we proclaim our personal worship of God that's intended to be between us and him. When we start tooting our own horn, so to speak, about our spirituality or our religiosity or how much we read our Bible. You can go on and on. There's all of these different things that we like to toot our own horn for. We're so successful. To God be the glory right? We say it under our breath. 
You guys, we publicly, oftentimes, we as Christians will publicly display something that God intended for the secret, that God intended for our private lives with him. Do you have a robust, private, intimate relationship with God where you're doing things, but it's just between you and him? It's just between you and him. It's private worship. It's private devotion, if you will. If our good works must be public so that our light shines, then our religious devotions should be secret lest we boast about them. I'll say that again. If our good works need to be public, and they do, so that our light shines, then our religious devotions should be secret lest we boast about them and take pride in the fact that we're more spiritual than others. By the way, yet another example that Jesus will go into here of how the Pharisees got it wrong. You know, after the Beatitudes, and and you could use the Beatitudes as well, but after the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is really running through this list of things and how the Pharisees got it wrong. The religious leaders, he's like, this is how they've got it wrong. Let me correct this. Well, now he's going into the Pharisees' devotional lives. Now he's getting into their private things that should be private, but they're making public. They're making public for their own glorification and not the glorification of God. So here in chapter 6, Jesus shifts from our public lives to our personal relationship with him. To our personal relationship. And here in chapter 6, we're going to talk about how to give. We're going to talk about how we pray, how we fast, what we treasure, and how we deal with press or pressure and stress. That's how you put them together. It's press, pressure and stress relationally with him. How we're dealing with stress. stress. <laughs> Third time's a charm. Pressure and stress. <laughs> Stresser and pressure. You know what I mean. We move on now, and we start talking about what's going on on the inside. This um, Martin Lloyd-Jones Jones said that this is, for him, the most difficult chapter of Scripture to apply to his life. He said, this is the most difficult chapter in the Bible for me to apply. And I was like, Pshaw, are you serious? There's so many other paths. He's right. He's totally right. If we're going to take this seriously, it means that we are going to have an intimate relationship with God that we seek to conceal. Now, I know for a Christian, like, but shouldn't we inspire other people with that? No, your good works should inspire them. But your devotional life with God is an intimate relationship. And we understand, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but just to, to kind of put it out there, we understand, I think, that it's inappropriate to have that intimacy, like, say, maritally, on display in front of people. Why would we view our relationship with God any different? Why would I reveal an intimate relationship that I have with God with other people when this is something between him and I? And it's something that he desires. So let's get into this. We're going to do the first four verses of Matthew chapter 6. Half our time's gone, but that's okay. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus transitions now. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor... Don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Fascinating things have happened in our world within the last... 15 years. 
And, and you know, time comes and goes. People really stay the same. The sins of people stay the same. Read Ecclesiastes. We're struggling in the same ways. We're just using different means. And what's interesting is back in 2016, this just caught my eye, the city of Mumbai, India, um, established 16 no-selfie zones. No-selfie zones. Um, Because there had been a series of deadly accidents involving people taking selfies. Now, we're not talking about texting and driving. We're not talking about cell phone use while you're on your bike. We're talking about people taking selfies, dying for those selfies because of the situations they would put themselves in. And the Washington Post reported not long ago that over 250 people in recent years have died while attempting to take selfies. And the person who reported this said, I find that number incredibly low. And I would agree. This is just selfies. 250 people have lost their lives for... You ever been across from someone in traffic doing it? Boy, that's a riot. How many of you actually done this? How many of you been across from someone in traffic taking a selfie? Oh, get ready to live. Watch for it. It's great. Passenger person, person in the car. And they're setting themselves up. Like they're really looking good. And the car's been, it's been green for an hour. The source of this information is shocked by the low number and so am I. But these numbers are nothing new to us when you look at them in perspective People have been obsessed with the desire to be seen by others for millennia. Ego is nothing new. Wanting attention for ourselves is nothing new. We just do it in different ways. And it's easy sometimes to look at people like, oh, that's so ridiculous. Stop taking a selfie of yourself. What do we do to get attention for ourselves? What are some of the things that I do? Am I aware of them? Am I aware of the things that I do to get attention, to get eyes on me instead of putting them on God? Technology is one of the primary means by which we satisfy the desire to be seen. It's how the, the next generation is getting their dopamine hit in massive quantity. And this is an epidemic. This is a problem. We're going to see very quickly what it's like when an entire generation of people who expect quick dopamine hits from instant gratification what it looks like when they start running companies. What it looks like when these are the next level, the next generation of pastors, the next generation of missionaries. Now, understand this. The gospel of Jesus supersedes all of this and is powerful enough to cleanse us of these things. But are we aware of the thing that is actually sapping our intimacy with God and putting it on display? Just spending some time in the word this morning. Here's a picture of my Bible, my coffee cup, perfectly situated. You don't have to tell us you're spending time with God. Just do it. Just do it. And you you know what, you guys? Guilty. I'm guilty. We shouldn't be declaring our relationship with God. We should be showing it through our good works. We should be showing it through our lifestyles. We should be seeing it in his word and living it out in reality, not trying to show everyone how spiritual we actually are. Instant gratification is what many of us require. It's what we've been raised on. It's interesting how the picture of the psalmist in Psalm chapter 1 says, blessed is the man whose hope and trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted near the waters. Isn't it interesting that we're like, yeah, a fast-growing tree? Not really. Most trees don't grow that fast. 
even though those are the ones that we research. You know, I need fast-growing trees. Why? Because I need my shade now, right? I want my backyard to look like the Japanese gardens tomorrow. So I need every fast-growing, like, I want it to be lit. Not on fire. That's a bad, um, I want my backyard to be lush. (laughs) But isn't it interesting that trees, I'm doing it again. Not trees. That's a Marvel thing. Trees grow slowly. Trees grow slowly, and we want to be like those trees that are planted by the water, that are feeding off of... Think about what Jesus said in John chapter 15. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Be attached to me, let me flow through you. But it means that that growth sometimes comes very slowly, and the vine dresser, the father, comes and prunes us. Fun. Right? No, 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 I need that. No, you don't. Ah! Hey, look, more fruit. That's what pruning produces. Okay, I'm getting off on a different thing. We have to pay more and more for people in our current culture um, to, do a, to do the work that they do because they need more gratification. They need more instant gratification. I'm not ripping on a generation. This is just the facts. Because we have raised a generation on instant gratification instead of you put the time in, you put the work in, and over years and years and years, you will see growth and movement. We have to be in this for the far-sightedness, not the near-sightedness. We're in this for the long haul, especially when it comes to relationship with God. If you expect one little session that was a selfie snap or some kind of a picture on Instagram to make you more spiritual, enhance your spiritual life or your walk with God, it's not going to work that way. What you're doing in the secret on a daily basis, spending time in prayer and focusing on his word and letting him move you and work through you, those are the things. Saturating in God himself, those are the things that will create long-term effect long-term righteousness, long-term spirituality. We have to see the reality of the situation through the eyes of Jesus and allow him to shape us and to find our satisfaction in who he says we are, not in who we present ourselves to be. Find your satisfaction in who God says you are, especially in Christ, you guys. That's just the next level. He sees us in Christ. He sees us in Jesus. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. And there are rewards to be had, but that's not why we do it. True intimacy with God requires privacy, and we understand this in our relationships with each other, as I referenced before. Yet I fear that often the only righteousness we value is righteousness that can be seen. D.A. Carson, talking about genuine righteousness and perfection in God's eyes and how we trade it for a lesser goal of external piety, says this, the goal of pleasing the Father is traded for its shrunken cousin, the goal of pleasing men. It almost seems as if the greater the demand for holiness, the greater the opportunity for hypocrisy. Boy, that should make us aware. The opportunity for hypocrisy grows as we are demanded in this way by God, be holy as I am holy, there's this heightened thing that comes into play of like, there's a greater chance for us to pretend like we are when we're not. The threat, I think, is very great for spiritual leadership. And I realize that this is the part that reading things like this is what makes me afraid of passages like James chapter 3, verse 1, he says, not many of you should be teachers. Because there's a lot at stake. And there's a stricter judgment for those who misrepresent God from this position. 
we do publicly do acts of righteousness. We should be publicly doing acts of righteousness, but the warning is to address the motivation for such acts. I talked about this last week as we looked at King Asa, as we were talking about his story. The process that we go through matters, not just the result. He did it right the first time. The process was to trust in God. But the second time, he did it his own way. And the process mattered because he got the result he thought was the goal. But God was like, I was actually going to do this over here, and you messed that up. He's like, you, you did this wrong. And then worse off, he didn't receive that rebuke. Our motivation needs to be the glorification of God, not our own reputation. If we're seeking the reputation, the reputation, Jesus makes it clear, we've traded a reward from the Father for an earthly one. If we're receiving the reputation because of our intimacy with God, we're trading an, an earthly reward, the recognition of men, for the heavenly one of God recognizing us, of God rewarding us in his time, in his way. You see, oftentimes we don't like that because we don't know what it's going to be. Doesn't that show a lack of faith and trust in God? When I don't trust his reward system because I would rather have this one, that is me not having faith in him. It's me not trusting him at his core. And so Jesus says this. Let me give you an example. Verse 2, when you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you. He says, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people, I tell you, that's their reward. He says, truly, they have their reward. That's their reward, the applause and the recognition of people. Congratulations. The way Jesus says this certainly assumes that disciples of Jesus will regularly assist needy people. Don't miss that. He's, a, he's putting that in there like, you should be helping people in need. That's just, when you do this, that's how it should be happening. It should be happening. But don't do it like the Pharisees do. Don't do it like the hypocrites are doing. He says the manner that we do this matters greatly. And Jesus says don't sound the trumpet when you give. Now, there's no evidence of a literal trumpet being blown when people would give in the temple. You know, that would be weird, I think. Clink, boop, boop, boop. You know, like, thank you. Thank you. You know, like, and, and we don't do that here either at Transform. If this is your first time visiting us, we do not have a giving trumpet. Every time you drop it in the box, there's a little sensor, you know, and it reads your name. Well, has now given. No, that's not what we're about. And you'd be like, I better start writing bigger checks. Maybe we should do that. No, I'm just kidding. We don't do that here. We're not about that. And this is not a message about tithing. It's not. You guys, what it's talking about is when you are caring for people and when you are doing what God is compelling you to do, it should be done quietly. Now, this is what's interesting. One of the most compelling explanations for this reference of sounding the trumpet is connected to the giving boxes in the temple themselves because the offering chests in the temple were called shofar chests or trumpet chests. And the reason is because they'd have an opening at the top that you would drop your coins into and they would taper off at the bottom like a shofar or a trumpet. And that way, if a thief wanted to come and steal, it tapers off. You can't get your hand in there. But it would be wide at the opening. Now, what would a Pharisee do if he wanted to get a little attention? Plink! Drop it in there loud, son. Get your recognition. Do you hear how much I'm giving? You know, however they were doing it, it was drawing attention to what they were doing. Oh, did you hear how much he gave? There's a TV show a long time ago. And, and, and one of the characters in the TV show doesn't get recognized for tipping at a restaurant at the counter. He gets really upset about it. They didn't see me put the tip in the jar. And the other person listening to him talk is like, so you're just doing this for the recognition. He goes, I, I, I actually 
you know, he's like, you probably aren't big on like tipping for the blind. And he goes, not bills. You guys, <laughs> that's horrible. And that's us. If there's nothing in it for me, if there's no recognition for me, isn't that our flesh? Now, I'm not saying that's how you do it all the time. I hope it's not. I hope that's not how we give. I hope that we're giving quietly. But isn't there a temptation to do that? You know, don't you want to flip that little iPad over quickly so they see what you tipped at the coffee shop? But the last guy didn't give two bucks. <laughs> you guys, we, this is in us. The desire for recognition is there. I think Jesus is getting his point across, whether that's specifically what he's talking about, which from my view of this, I don't see any other way when he's talking about the trumpets. But either way, even if you're like, well, maybe he's just using the metaphor of a trumpet being sounded to draw attention. We don't really have a historical picture to build that off of. But you get the point either way. Don't do it for the show. Don't do it for the show. Those who are concerned with reputation want to make that trumpet jingle. But those who are giving from a heart that's lovingly in relationship with the Father, give in such a way that's intimate between themselves and the Lord and is a benefit for others. It's intimate between God and I, and it also benefits people. It's an act that's motivated by love. Could, could it be, and this is just kind of something to consider as a natural thought process, but something that may be a little bit separate. Could it be that the greatest cause of all of our failures is that we constantly forget our relationship with God? This is just one instance. Could it be that the greatest cause of all our failures is that we constantly forget our relationship with him in our day-to-day living, in the things that we're going through, the motions? Don't forget your relationship with God. Do what you do based off of it. Do what you do fed from it. Colossians three twenty three through 24, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. Knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord, you serve the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done. There is no favoritism. There was a ravenous hunger on the part of the Pharisees to be praised, to be recognized. That's what Jesus is addressing historically in his day. And it, he calls it what it is. He says, they're hypocrites. It's hypocrisy. And he told that to them, to their face. Jesus didn't hold back in saying that right to their face either. Religion that's for self-promotion, not the glorification of God, is hypocrisy. And don't do what the hypocrites do. Instead, look at verses 3 and 4. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The disciple of Jesus is not giving secretly in order to win some heavenly reward. Rather, he is giving secretly to avoid the glamour of honor from men. He's doing it to avoid the wrong recognition. And the result is a spiritual reward. But the motivation matters. The process matters. And so what's the motivation for our giving? What's the motivation of what we do? It certainly shouldn't be guilt. And it certainly shouldn't be recognition. What it should be is our love of God spilling out of our lives. And the way that we give to others and the way we care for others and the things that we say and the things that we do. Almsgiving or giving to the poor, what he's talking about specifically here is an act of mercy. 
It's an act of mercy towards someone who needs help. And for an act of mercy to be authentic, it cannot be twisted to become an act of vanity. An act of mercy cannot at the same time take on the face of an act of vanity. In other words, to be authentic, we give out of mercy. We cannot be looking to gain from that. A great way to understand what Jesus means by not letting your left hand know what your right is doing is that we ought to be satisfied with having God for our only witness. We ought to be satisfied when we give that God is the only witness, that he's the only one who saw. And you know what's funny? We often don't find out where the source of of our frustration, well, uh, let me, let me rephrase. We often don't find out how frustrated we are about not being recognized until later. Because when you give, you're like, feels good to give. What happens later on down the road when someone's like, I don't see you giving. You're like, I give all the, uh Oh, there it is. You see, a lot of times these emotions, these things lie veiled within us. And that's why it's good for us to spend that time with the Lord now and seek to really find out, am I in that place in my heart? This isn't condemnation. This is God calling us to be authentic. This is God calling us to be legitimate before him. Bonhoeffer wrote that by his words, do not let your left hand know what your right is doing. Jesus was sounding the death knell of the old man. He's basically sounding out this thing like, this means you die and he lives. Because our flesh is always trying to gratify itself. It's always trying to get recognition. And for the spiritual man to live, the flesh must die. Paul writes about that a lot in Colossians. He says this at the end, your father who sees in secret will reward you. Proverbs 16.2 says, all a person's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs the motives. God weighs the motives. So it means that you're not tricking him into thinking that you're actually doing something, you know, one way or another. He just knows the truth. And you know what's interesting is that's not intended to make us feel terrible about ourselves. It frees you to be real. It frees you to be authentic. God knows where my heart is. So when people mistreat you, God knows where I'm at. And when people praise you, God knows where I'm at. It's okay. When I have that that solid relationship with the Lord within, I can settle and rest in that. I find peace there. I'm not striving to produce. I'm not striving to do something. I'm not working to earn his favor. He knows the motivation of my heart. I can be at peace. And he knows your heart and other people don't. You can deceive them. You can persuade them that you're selfless. But God knows your heart and that's a good thing because he loves you even when we suck. Even when my motivations are the worst, even when my attitude is the worst, he still loves me. He still loves me there. He still wants relationship with me. Do you realize how much we have messed up? Do you realize how much we failed him? And God right now is waiting for you saying, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Even so, he says, come close to me. Let me divide these issues that you're struggling. Let me slice these things open and show you what's really going on. Let me deal with the sin that's inside so that you can be healed. Hebrews chapter four, verses 12 through 13 says this for the word of God, as we read his word and we engage with him is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two edged sword cutting between soul and spirit between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. When we read the word of God and we are in prayer and we are receiving his word to us, when he's speaking to us, it's dividing apart these things. He's slicing between these things saying, do you see what your intentions really are? Do you understand what your thoughts actually are? Do you ever struggle with what's going on in your head? 
Do you know what your answer is? Spend time in the Word of God. It exposes, it unearths nothing in all creations hidden from Him. Everything is naked and exposed before His eyes, and He is the one to whom we are accountable. What an amazing text to see as Jesus says, do it for God. Do what you're doing for God. Don't do it for the glorification or the recognition of men. And here in Hebrews 4, he is the one who, to whom we are accountable. You're going to show the records, the record books, the financials of your life, so to speak, to God. You're going to show an account. You're, you're giving that to him. And if it's unto God, how much does that shape our daily how much does it shape the things that we're thinking, we're saying, the way we're treating people? If I don't have to make it right in their eyes, if I don't have to make it okay with them or make them happy or make sure that I'm not, you know, doing this or that or, wow, I really messed up, you realize it's before God. You are accountable to him. No wonder he says, be holy as I am holy. No wonder he calls us in the spirit to walk in his ways because he says, it's before me that all this stands anyway. It's not for people. Every single one of you could think I was a complete chump. Please don't tell me if you do or not right now. Every single one of you could think I was a complete chump. And it wouldn't matter. Because what matters is what God says. What matters is who he says I am. Now, his word, his actions, his leadership is what should drive me to do what I do. So that doesn't excuse me for being like, I don't care whatever people think. No, no, that's being flippant and that's not okay. But you understand what I'm saying? How many of us are basing how we view ourselves right now off of what other people think? Isn't it amazing? And I'm going to have the worship team come up. Isn't it amazing um, how we can be complimented 99 times, receive one, I'll say critique and or harsh word. What are you thinking about? Are you thinking about the 99? What are we thinking about? What are we dwelling on? What are we struggling with? That one thing. Why? Well, first of all, if it's an issue that you should be dealing with in the Lord, then you should deal with it. But in this scenario, we're basing way too much of how we think, feel, and process on the appreciation and gratification of people. When I can have a church family all around me that supports and encourages and, and we're being honest and we're challenging each other, we're rebuking each other, we're loving each other, we can be in that place and one person comes and says, I'm done with you and walks away. That's all I'm thinking about. Because it just shows that I'm more concerned about that than I am about what God has said. If I'm right with him and I'm doing what he's called me to do, you guys understand this. You've experienced life. People are going to be harsh. They're going to be rude. They're going to be mean. But if I'm standing before the Lord, it's not going to sway me. Yes, it hurts. But like you understand how like that one thing can just wreck you. Have you ever been wrecked by something somebody has said for months, for years? You're putting too much into it. You're putting too much faith in that thing. Deal with it if it's sin. Don't get me wrong. Deal with it if it's sin. But if it's not sin and it's something that's just hard to hear, you need to rely on the Lord and find your identity in who Jesus says you are. Amen? Find your identity in who Jesus says you are. And live in that. Live in that. You're not here to please people. You're here to please God and to love people and care for them. Sometimes the last thing people want you to do is to love and care for them. They will hate you for it. 
You're like, that's a weird thing to say. It's true. You know it is. Sometimes you can lay your life down and they'll say, I'll take it. What else you got? Doesn't matter. If God asked me to do it, I'm going to do it because I'm accountable to him. And I have one life. I have one life to live and I'm going to give it to him and do what he asked me to do with it. And you know what? Duty is mine and results are God's. He's called me to be faithful. He's called me to be obedient. Jesus laid down the greatest example of this for us. Even in the garden, as he expressed that struggle of like, I take this cup if it's possible, but not what I want, but what you want. This is not my will be done, but your will be done. What was the father's will? Go forward, continue forward. And so this morning we get this reminder. We're going to take communion together. And we get this reminder of how Jesus laid down his life for us, his sheep. How we are supposed to be living that life out ourselves, laying our lives down in the same way. And how we are to be sacrificial in the way he was because it's unto obedience. It's towards God. It's for God. It's obedience to him. And I can't get caught up. And how that obedience affects this life here because I'm doing it for him. The results are his. My calling remains the same. Will we enjoy it? Not always. Jesus did not want to go to the cross. He has to be freed from it and the father wanted him to go and he said, all right, I'll go. You understand the struggle in that. I think a lot of times we look at Jesus and go, was he in sin? Of course not. He was expressing what he was feeling. And then he showed us the greatest thing ever. Complete obedience in the face of something that we don't want to do. I'll go. I'll do it. Right before he was in the garden praying those things. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. And do this in remembrance of me. He was speaking about, obviously, being nailed to that cross, his body being broken for them. In the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant, my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And Paul goes on in that text in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 to call believers to examine themselves. He said, examine yourself when you come to this. When you remember the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, Examine yourself. And I believe that communion and a time of confession go hand in hand. They go hand in hand because we come and we confess and then we remember his body broken for me, his blood shed on my account. He has forgiven me. He's forgiven me of my sin. After you collect, we'll have you guys go back and collect the elements at the back in just a moment. After you get those, if you want to come back and sit and just spend a bit of time, they're on the middle table right here up against the wall. All the communion stuff's right there. So if you want to come back to your spot and just spend a time in prayer, we're just going to give a little bit of space. We'll take communion, and then we'll, we'll close with the song. But I want to remind you one more thing. The Lord's Supper is an occasion of joy. It's a time of confession and repentance, and it's an occasion of joy for the Christian community reconciled in our hearts with God and the body. 
We're receiving the gift of the body and blood of Jesus and receiving that we receive forgiveness and new life and restoration. This is refreshment for us, church. So don't skip past it. Let's go ahead and, and get the elements and then we'll, um, we'll take communion together. You guys can do that now.